find that when I do my daily journaling, when I get to the part where I start writing about the three things that I'm grateful for, more times than not, I end up writing down names of people. And I think that that's interesting because today we're talking about relational connections being our priority here at BCC, and not just here at our church, but really in every life. Because one of the first things that God said, matter of fact, the first thing that God said in creation that wasn't good was that man was alone. Everything else was good. Birds, good. Water, good. Land, good. Night, day, good. Man's alone. Not good. First thing that God said wasn't good. And so we're created for connection, first and foremost, with him, our creator God, but also with each other. And I think that that's a vital thing to our relationships because relationships are our priority. God has created us for that connection. Just as Dylan read earlier in 2 Timothy chapter 2, I want us to go back to there, and we're just going to reread that. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul writes this. He says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And so here he really says something that I want us just to zoom in on. He says, the things that I've taught you, I want you to go and actually teach to faithful men. The things you've heard from me. Now go share with faithful men so that those people will also be able to teach. So it's not just for you. If we think spending time with God or spending time in the Word is just for us and us alone, then we're missing the point. It is, yes, for us to benefit, and we do benefit, but yet also it's so we can be poured into to be poured out of. He said, the things that I've shared with you, the things you've witnessed, the things you saw me do... Now that you've been invested in, go invest those things in faithful men so that they might be able to teach others also. So this thing can keep growing so more people can hear about the gospel and they can learn how to find and follow Jesus because you've set the tone, you've set the example, you've poured in them because you also have been invested in. It's the same idea that Paul says to Timothy in his first letter, the famous uh, scripture about God hasn't given you the spirit of fear. If you back up a little bit in that section before he says God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, he reminds him of an investment that's been made in him. He said, there's been an investment that I've made in you, and your grandmother's made in you, and your mother has made in you. He said, and I'm convinced you still have those things that God has put on the inside of you there. Those things didn't leave you for some reason. He said, so it's your responsibility, Timothy, to stir up the gift, not to let intimidation to keep you from using your gift or from you isolating and thinking somehow this is all about you. Instead, he says, I want you to teach others just like I've shown you so they can be able to teach others as well. He explains how these are vital relational connections. And he also helps Timothy see how these relationships have helped him to connect in his walk with God as well. Because God places people in your life to invest in you for his glory and for your good. That's really what God does. There are strategic times in our lives where sometimes those relationships are just for a season, but then we also have those lifelong relationships as well. 
Sometimes people have a hard time letting go of certain relationships or compartmentalizing certain seasons of their life because we somehow get this idea that we're supposed to hang on to everyone and everything. And sometimes God brings people in our lives for moments and for seasons. And can I tell you and encourage you this morning to be thankful to God for those times and for those people because people aren't ours to hang on to and control but yet God may have brought them in your life for that season. And also even some of the negative experiences that we've had. Scripture says he can work all things out for the good of those who love the Lord and who are called according to his purpose. Amen? So that means that even the things that may have negatively impacted me, God can still turn those around and use them for his glory and for our good. We have to learn to grow in maturity to be able to move on from both good and bad experiences. We can't get stuck. That's the enemy's plan, is to isolate us, to get us stuck, to keep us from moving forward. Maturity gives us perspective. And as we grow in maturity, and as we grow in seeing the faithful hand of God, what we begin to learn is that we can even grow and learn from voices that perhaps we may disagree with, have been disappointed in, or that have even hurt us, because God can use all of that for our benefit, for his glory, and for our good. Relationships all around are vital for us growing in Christ. We can't avoid them, we can't run away from them. Because if we do, we're going to be missing out on a key component and a, a primary way that God has caused us to develop and to grow and be sharpened, to be held accountable, to be uh, spurred on to good works and to spur other people on to good works, to be poured in and to be poured out of. And so I want us to go this morning, and this is where we're really gonna camp out, is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So just go back just a few pages and, and go um, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to read the whole uh, chapter here, and then we're going to do something a little different, all right? So get ready for something a little different than this morning than what we may normally do. But let's read the whole thing first. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. Paul says this to the church in Thessalonica. He says, now... Concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 
Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what's good and abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. In this text, I wanted to go through this whole chapter because I wanted you to see the context of what Paul is talking about to this church is that he's communicating, listen, eternity is a reality that we all are going to face. And he's speaking to them in light of eternity. He's wanting them to think about the coming day of the Lord. He's helping them to think about this return of Christ. And he wants them to know how they are to live kind of in the in-between so that we can live with an eternal priority and with an eternal perspective. He's helping the church to see, listen guys, this is what matters and this is the priority in which we should live. So let's keep these things in our mind. Let's keep these things at the front of our hearts because we understand that we are living in light of eternity. And so he's saying in light of eternity, in light of all these things that are coming that you know about, live in the light. Live in the light, not in the darkness, and treat each other this way. Encourage one another so that you can live with a Christ-centered, gospel-focused priority on the earth. He's wanting us to understand this idea of respecting those who labor among you. Let's urge the brothers who, and, 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 that are being idle to be admonished. Hey, come on, let's not be idle in what the Lord's called us to do. Let's be spurred on to good works. Let's help those that are weak among us. Let's be patient with those who are growing as we're all growing and learning together. He says, make sure that when evil happens, that you're not seeking uh, some sort of evil to happen in retaliation. He's setting the tone for how we're supposed to live, that we're supposed to be praying without ceasing. We're supposed to give thanks in all circumstance, and we're abstaining from every form of evil. This is how we're living in light of eternity, and this is how in relational community we are to help each other to live these things out, because it's not meant for you to go out and do it by yourself. He's wanting this to be done in community because as you look at the text, as you examine the text, all of these things are interdependent upon relationships. He's saying, do this for one another. Hold one another accountable. Treat one another this way. Be patient with one another. There's a whole lot of this one another concept and idea in this passage because he's saying in light of eternity, we need to be a close community of believers who are reminding each other what is truly important what really matters and that we can encourage sharpen move one another forward hold each other accountable so that we can live in the light and not be tempted or be swayed to be pulled into the darkness one of the practices that i've been uh living out here over i guess the past i don't know a couple months is a ancient way of reading scripture that I learned from some friends of mine is called Lectio Divina. And you've heard me mention the Lectio 365 app. The basic premise is that you take a passage of scripture and you read it several times through and you read it slower each time. And as you read it, you kind of zoom in a little bit closer. 
to maybe God is highlighting a certain verse. And then you zoom in a little closer and maybe God is highlighting a certain word or phrase. And then you really ask the Lord, what do you want me to do with this particular passage? And that's how I start my day. And that's how I journal. And that's been what I've been doing over these past couple of months. And it's been extremely rewarding for me. It's really stirred me up to want to just pursue the heart of God even more. And so today, we're going to go through that together, all right? So I'm going to reread the 12th through the 28th verse, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to pay close attention. I'm going to slow down just a little bit. I'm going to read it just a little slower. And if something that you read or that you hear stands out to you, perhaps the Holy Spirit is highlighting that to you. And I would like for you to just make a mention or note of that by writing it down or putting it on your phone or maybe just kind of bookmarking that particular section. And we're going to come back to that at the end of the service. And I want you to just ask the Lord just to, what are you calling me to do when it comes to relational connection, when it comes to uh, following you, when it comes to the way I treat others, the way that I view others, what are you highlighting to me to be able to either repent of, to grow in, to be challenged by, or to be strengthened by, or whatever the case may be. Maybe he's stirring your faith in a certain area, or maybe there's a situation that something in the Word of God just has attached itself to, and you're like, oh, this, I've been looking for direction on this. And perhaps the Lord will do that. So we're going to read this again, just a little slower, and I want you to read with that focus and that intent. And I want you to write it down as things begin to kind of be highlighted to you. So verse 12 through 28, here we go. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So as we reread that, what stood out to you in those moments? What's some action that you need to take? What's maybe something that just stood out in a different way than it did before? Hopefully it wasn't greet the brothers with a holy kiss because I don't, you know, like a handshake will do just fine uh, for me. <laughs> handshake will do just fine guys but what stood out to you what were the things that maybe jumped off the page and grabbed your heart a little differently than before i want us to lean into that today as we go through our time of prayer here in just a little while i want us to go back to that again because a relationship with god listening to him hearing from him 
having him order our steps, having him direct our paths, having his word be a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. And that's only possible because of Jesus Christ and what he's done through his gospel. Amen? You see, Jesus has opened the door where there was no way before. Now Jesus has become the way, the truth, and the life. And now we who were once in darkness, who were once enemies of God, can be called sons and daughters. We're in right standing with God through faith in what Jesus Christ has done and what Christ alone has done. Nothing of ourselves so we could boast about it. You see, Jesus connects us to God, and he calls us the church. He calls us his body. It's interesting that Jesus has connected us to our Father. He's connected us to the Creator. He's connected us, and now we have an audience with the Creator of the universe that when we pray, he actually pays attention, and he cares. I mean, five people could be talking to me at the same time, and I'm not going to hear anything anybody says, right? We're, whoa, 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 we go one at a time. And God and his supernatural omnipotence and his power and his glory, he can hear and care about people simultaneously talking to him, interacting with him, making requests of him. And he can have the wherewithal and the power, the ability, the attentiveness to care about each single one of us. Friends, that's an awesome thing to know that I have an audience with the creator. What an incredible gift and opportunity that's only available and accessible because of Jesus Christ. Jesus has done that. Jesus has made that way to where now we can be connected to God. And now, since we're connected to God, guess what? We're now connected to each other who have faith in Christ. When you hear this idea, this concept, the church, you hear in Scripture, the body of Christ, it's talking about the body of Christ is connected because of Christ. We are now in him. He is in us. The great mystery has been revealed, as Paul said. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so now, the things that used to divide us, those things don't even matter anymore. Because what unites us and brings us together as the body, as one, is much stronger than anything that would divide us. You see, society wants to continually divide and classify us wants to identify and classify us by race, by background, by income levels, by interests, by opinions, by preferences. Society's constantly wanting to put us in different groups and shove us away into different corners where we can just be surrounded with people who are just like us. But Christ, he supersedes all of that to where he says, now in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither male nor female. All of these different things that once separated and divided you, you're one if you're in Christ. That's why we are together. We are his body. So our preferences, our opinions, I mean, you know, maybe you like weird stuff on your cheeseburger. I don't know. Maybe you don't even like the cheese. Maybe you're one of those weird people. I don't know. I have a lactose intolerance. Okay, that's fine if you have that. God bless you. We'll pray for you, you know? Like, <laughs> but at the same time, just because you like different stuff or you, can, you enjoy different movies or you enjoy different humor, maybe you didn't think that joke was funny. I don't know. <laughs> I thought it was, but that's okay. You see, we're different. We're, we're different. And so it's not the fact that we all like the same things. It's not the fact that we all have the same preferences or we have the same interests. It's the fact that Christ 
has superseded all of those things and has brought us together. So that's where he is the vine. We are the branch and we must abide in him and him and us. And if that same life that flows through the vine flows into the branch, guess what's going to happen? We're going to bear much fruit. What's the fruit? The fruit is the fruit of the spirit. It's the evidence that we're abiding. It's the evidence. And how does that play out? Well, the fruitfulness begins to play out in the things like what Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica and also the church in Galatia where he talks about in chapter 5 and verse 22, the fruits of the Spirit are like this. It's like, it's like joy and peace and gentleness and kindness and goodness. All these things are coming out of you because you're abiding and you're connected. And if you're connected to him, then you're connected to each other. So this idea of isolating should not be uh, something that we pursue in the body of Christ. We're actually pursuing unity. That was actually Jesus' prayer. Father, make them one as we're one. Different but yet one connected apart because the same life that flows in him now flows in us the enemy wants us to be isolated the enemy wants us to be divided and the enemy is always looking for ways to do those two things cause division and isolation always this is in every church that would be a part of the body of christ where the enemy would love to try to look for cracks in the armor Look for opportunities to try to sneak in and cause division and sow seeds of division. And it always starts in little ways. And then those things grow because the enemy, he, he, he's got these tricks and he's been perfecting these things. And he knows what people are susceptible to. And he uses these same things over and over again like offense or unforgiveness or things that are, are, are outside of our expectations, maybe unmet expectations. All of these things that would open up the door to offense and give handle to offense and cause division and cause us to isolate because every time that we're wounded or every time that we feel hurt or or whatever the case may be the enemy whispers in our ear that isolation is the answer because every time that we get hurt what do we want to do we want to withdraw right it's the natural tendency that we want to do i want to go away i want to hide i want to I, or if I'm caught in some sort of sin or addiction, what do I want to do? I want to cover it. I want to hide. This is nothing new. This was actually tried in the Garden of Eden by the first two people on the planet. When they rebelled against God and they felt shame, the very first time shame had been experienced, the first thing they tried to do is fix it themselves. And the best they could come up with, fig leaves. That's what we're going to do, fig leaves. We're going to take fig leaves and we're going to make some sort of covering for ourselves. You're the only two people on the planet. You've already seen each other naked. There's nothing else new there. But now all of a sudden, i got to hide it. I want to I hide. I feel embarrassed. I need to cover myself. And then when God finds them, he says, what are you guys doing? Why do you think you can hide from me? Because God sees everything, folks. We can try to hide from him, and shame wants you to, to, to hide it wants you to be embarrassed. It wants you to withdraw. It wants you to isolate. Because if you do, you're beginning to compromise and you're beginning to live just a little bit more in the darkness and not in the light. And Paul said to the church in Thessalonica in chapter 5, he said, when we're together, when we're connected, and we understand that eternity is at stake here, guys, we have to live in the light. This is what we do, and here's how we do it. We, we spur one another on. We admonish one another. We, we encourage one another. We help correct each other. We, we're patient with each other. We help those who are weak. This is a relational thing that we do here, where we're actually leaning into relationship, not withdrawing from relationship. Where we're leaning into community, what, not withdrawing 
from community because the enemy would love for you to isolate. The enemy would love for you to just slip in and out and try to go unnoticed or try to hide and try to cover. And all of those things create pseudo-selves, false personalities, and you get burdened up with all sorts of junk when you live that way. Because now you're trying to protect and hide something because you're afraid of being wounded. You're afraid of being vulnerable. But can I tell you this? The gospel, listen to me, the gospel requires vulnerability. Think about this. The gospel requires vulnerability. It requires vulnerability between you and God. Because he already knows everything anyway. You're just acknowledging, Lord, I have sinned. I've sinned against you. I've fallen short of the glory of God. Scripture says everyone has done this. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And so as we go to him and we open up our heart and we're vulnerable with him, and, and we don't try to fool him anymore with our fig leaves that we've sewn together, and we just say, Lord, I, I, I'm, I'm a broken, wretched mess, and I need you. And he's like, I know, you've always needed me. And I've got all this shame, and he's saying, here, take my yoke upon you. It's actually easy, and my burden is actually light, and it's going to be much better than what you've been trying to carry around. When we expose our heart to God and we truly become vulnerable at the feet of Jesus, that's how we receive the gospel. There's no other way for us to repent and trust and obey other than to be vulnerable. It requires vulnerability to have connection with God, to be a recipient of the gospel. We have to be honest because if we think we're fooling God, we're only fooling ourselves. Because he knows all. People say it even as defense or justification for their own sin or for their own wrongdoing. They'll say things like, well, God knows my heart. Like, that's like a really good thing to say. And I'm like, man, God knows your heart. Yeah, you're right. That is scary, friend. He does. He knows our heart. He knows every wicked thought, every wicked intent, every selfish thought, every selfish intent. He knows every word said behind closed doors. He knows all that. Nothing is hidden from his sight. So why don't I, instead of trying to hide and pretend like, God, look, look, look at how good I am, instead why don't I say, God, I need you. That's a much better place to be in. But it requires vulnerability. The gospel requires us. It requires vulnerability. So here's our big idea for today. Real connection requires vulnerability. Not just with God, but also with others as well. Your closest friendships, your closest relationships, a relationship between a husband and a wife, for it to be healthy and successful requires real vulnerability. You got to have a no secrets policy, right? Amen or oh me, I don't know about that one. <laughs> Somebody's thinking about that one. Because the things that are done in secret, the things that are done in darkness, when those things come to the light, it causes a lot of pain because there was a lack of vulnerability, because there was a lack of trust. There was a lack of, of me being able to trust another with my heart. But when I come to Christ, when I come to faith in him, I, it requires me to be vulnerable. And so my closest connections that I have require authenticity at the deepest, most intimate level. And so if I'm going to have connection with other people, that requires vulnerability as well. And we don't like that word. We don't want to be vulnerable. We want everyone to think a certain way about us. And that's why social media, it can be a great tool, but it can also be a very wicked and evil tool of the enemy because everyone can paint whatever picture they want to paint. And they can create whatever reality they want to create. You can read someone's uh, social media who has a bunch of scripture verses that they post every day and go, man, that person's spiritual. 
They post a bunch of verses all day, and they may be struggling with sin, and they may be having all sorts of brokenness they're experiencing, and you don't even know it. But the appearance is everything is just great. You can post a picture of a happy family, but a picture doesn't mean a family's happy. It means you just coerced everyone to smile for a second. <laughs> you see, we can create these false realities, but the Lord knows our heart. We need people in our lives that we can be vulnerable with, amen? And there should be safety to do that within the family of God because we're one in Christ. So if I'm struggling with something, I should be able to go and confess my sin to one another. That's scripture. Go and confess your sin to one another. Is there something I'm struggling with? Is there something I'm dealing with? There should be accountability because I want to keep it in the light because if I live in the light, I don't have to walk in shame. But if I buy into shame, I hide as so fig leaves together, and it's miserable being in that place. It is miserable when I'm holding all these secrets and I'm keeping all these things tucked away. The enemy would love to make you think, well, you just need to withdraw and isolate. You just need to hide. And the exact opposite is the pathway to healing. The exact opposite is the pathway to freedom. Jesus said that he who the Son sets free is free indeed. That's a different kind of freedom. I want to live in that freedom, amen? He who the Son is set free is free indeed. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is an easy uh, yoke, and, and a, there's a light burden. You see, real connection requires vulnerab vulnerability. Pain, shame, wounds, pride. It all causes us to isolate. It causes us to divide and put up walls. But the gospel requires we become vulnerable with God and acknowledge our sin and our need for a Savior. The gospel then requires we remain vulnerable, that we exercise forgiveness, reconciliation, unity. Walls keep us passive-aggressive, fake pseudo-personalities, not truthful. It keeps us in the darkness and in isolation. Jesus said this in Matthew 18 and 20. He said that where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am among them. I'm in the midst of them. You see, Jesus likes to hang out where two or three are gathered in his name. So something happens when believers get together. Jesus is present in a unique and special way that even he acknowledged. Listen, when two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Back in 2006, my wife and I left everything familiar and went and moved to Texas to go plant a church. And sometimes there were just two or three gathered in his name. That was a rough, tough season. But I've seen God move with just two or three people present. I've been there. We would set up speakers and drums and amplifiers and have a sermon and set up stuff for kids. And we set up and tore down every week in a barbecue restaurant. For three years we did this. And sometimes it would just be two or three gathered in his name. But he would show up. He was there because he's promised it and he's faithful. Amen. There is something that happens. It's, I love when we have several hundred people gather. That's special. But it only takes two or three. There's something special that happens. So the enemy wants you to avoid that type of connection. He wants you to think isolating is the answer. He wants you to think running away is the answer. He wants you to think living in the darkness and hiding is the answer. The enemy wants to get you to buy into this. 
So you'll live passive aggressively and never really being truthful, never really being vulnerable, never living in the light, always minimizing and, and stuffing and shoving and pushing those things down when you're, you're living in misery and God's called you to freedom and you're missing that because you're not connecting with him and you're not connecting with other people in a healthy way because you're lacking vulnerability. And God's wanting you to be free today. And I believe that there is freedom available. And if freedom is available, why would I not take it? Why would I not receive that gift? Why would I want to live chained and in bondage to isolation and to the attacks of the enemy? There is something in the church community that when we operate together in the spirit of God, that chains are broken, that things are restored and healed and the gospel is lived out and the enemy wants to try to make that as messy and as chaotic as possible. That's why we have to fight for unity. That's why we have to keep the main thing the main thing and let our preferences be pushed way down the list. And we have to stay focused on the gospel and living in light of eternity. Because the enemy wants to try to come in and mess with us. He knows he's defeated, but he wants to try to cause as much confusion and chaos as he possibly can. He wants to try to cause you to doubt as much as he can. He, he wants to just come in and get you to want to just unravel piece by piece and slowly fade back into isolation to the darkness. But God has come that we might be free. I want to read 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 28 one more time. And this time when I read it, I want you to really focus in on what the Lord may have for your heart for what he's calling you to do. And then what we're gonna do is we're gonna take just a few moments and I'm just gonna let you pray for two, three minutes. And our prayer team's gonna be up at the front during that time. So prayer team, when I walk off the stage, just go ahead and come up to the front when I walk off. And I also want you to prepare your heart to receive communion because I'm gonna come back out and lead us through the Lord's Supper as we remember and commit to the Lord yet again, trusting in his goodness, his faithfulness. But in that time, if you've come here today and you're heavy, man, you need somebody to pray with you, let us pray with you. If there's someone next to you that you need to talk to and pray with, do that. If there's a friend or a family member, a loved one, someone here that you know, just get up and go sit by them and say, I, I need to talk to you, I need to pray with you. I feel like God's putting that on my heart. Let's take this time, let's do that. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior, if you're here and you're like, I don't have that connection with God you were talking about, pastor, well, that's okay, today you can. Today, I believe, is the day of your salvation. I believe today you can meet Jesus face to face because the door's wide open. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter any of that stuff that the enemy's been trying to keep you isolated. You're not feeling good enough or worthy. Jesus was worthy in your place. So now you can receive that free gift by saying, Jesus, I need you. Let us pray with you this morning, if that's you. Or if you're like, I've been walking with God, but I haven't, I've been stumbling along the way. Can we pray for you this morning? Can we just love on you this morning and just let you know that we as a body, we are one in Christ. We want to pray for you and be there with you. And as we read this scripture, God may be doing something completely different in you. They may, there may be a, a situation that you're facing that the Lord's about to open your eyes to see something that you've needed to see. And I just want you to humble your heart. Prepare your heart for communion. Pray when I finish reading this text. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 12. We ask you, brothers, 
to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.